know there's many of us. Why don't you just wave your hand in the air if you've ever seen a miracle. Amen. Have you ever been through a storm in your life, been through a rough time, a valley? Why don't you just wave your hand in the air if you're here today? I want to make sure that there's somebody here that I can preach to today. I just wanted to make sure before I called it quits. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, look him in the eye and tell him, I've seen the miraculous. Go ahead and say that to him. Look at him and say, I've seen the miraculous. And look at him again and say, I've been through the valley. If you've been through the valley. If you haven't, don't bother. If you've ever been through a rough time. But then I want you to look at him one more time. And I want you to say, but God's been faithful to me. Hallelujah. God's been faithful to me. Is there anybody who's a witness of that? He's a faithful God today. Amen. Could we just take a moment? Let's praise him. Let's lift our voices for a moment. Jesus, we love you, Lord. You've been faithful to us, God. We love you. We praise you today. We thank you for your goodness today, God. I pray that you would speak your word to us today, God. Touch our hearts and our minds. Help us to receive it today. In Jesus' name, we praise you, Lord, for you have blessed us immensely, blessed us abundantly. We praise you today. Amen, amen. I won't be reading a text today, so you can be seated. God bless you. Amen. I will be talking about a story starting in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 today. If you do want to follow along, I'll be reading or kind of going through a few chapters of 2 Kings. Not exactly reading them, so don't, don't leave just yet. Amen. One day, Elisha passed through a town called Shunem. A leading lady of the town, an affluent lady, talked him into stopping for a meal. And then, after that, it became his custom that whenever he passed through Shunem, he would stop for a meal. She would make him a meal. And the woman to her husband said, I'm certain that this man who stops by with us all the time for a meal, this man is a man of God. I perceive that he is a man of God. So why don't we do this? Not just cook him a meal every time that he comes through. Why don't we add a small room Upstairs, let's furnish it with a bed and a desk, a chair and a lamp so that when he comes by, he can not only stop for a meal, but we can give him a place to rest. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. I know you've heard me preach on it a couple of different times. And so it happened that the next time that Elisha came by, he went to this room and he laid down for a nap. He said to his servant, whose name was Gehazi, Gehazi, tell the Shunammite woman that I want to see her. He called her and she came to him. 
Through Gehazi, Elisha said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty in taking care of us. You didn't just stop at a meal, but you gave me a place to stay when I came through. What can be done for you? What can be done for you? Do you have a request that we can bring to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I'm in need of nothing. I'm secure. and I'm satisfied with my family. I am in need of nothing. I don't want anything in return. So Elisha conferred with Gehazi. He said there's got to be something that she's in need of. There has to be something that we can do for her, but what is it? And Gehazi said, well, Elisha, she has no son. Her husband is an old man. She's obviously been barren. She doesn't have a son. And Elisha said, call her in. And he called her and she stood at the open door. Elisha said to her, Well, Shunammite woman, this time next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. You're going to have a baby boy in your arms about this time next year. The Shunammite woman we see in the Bible then got a little frustrated with the man of God. She said, Oh, man of God, holy man. Don't play games with me. Don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. Because obviously in the life of the Shunammite woman, there had been a valley that she had went through. She could not have a son. And Elisha stirred all of those old feelings that maybe she had put back years ago. Elisha stirred him up again and said, you're going to have a son. Don't mess with me about that man of God. But what happened, a miracle happened. This Shunammite woman conceived and bore a son. A year later, just as Elisha had said, this child then grew up, we see in our Bible, Sometimes we don't connect these two stories, but this child grew up. One day he was in the field with his father, working with the harvest. And he started complaining about pain in his head. He said, my head, my head. And his father ordered a servant, take him to his mother. Take him to his mother. The servant took him in his arms and he carried him to his mother. He lay on her lap until noon and then the boy died in the lap of his mother. She took him up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. This room she had built for the man of God. She shut the door and she left. She then called her husband. She said, get me a servant and get me a donkey. We're going to see the man of God. I'll be back as soon as I can. But why today? 
This isn't a holy day. It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, don't ask any questions. I need to go now. So she went ahead. She saddled the donkey, ordering her servant, take the lead and go as fast as you can. I'll tell you if you're going too fast. And so off they went. And she found the man of God at Mount Carmel. Elisha, spotting her a long way off, said to Gehazi, Look, isn't that the Shunammite woman? Quickly go, something must be the matter. Ask if there's something wrong. Is everything okay? Is your husband okay? Is your boy okay? So Gehazi went ahead and asked her. And she looked at Gehazi. And she said, everything's just fine. And she kept walking toward the man of God. But when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she threw herself at his feet and held tightly unto him. Gehazi, following her, came to pull her away. But Elisha said, no, Gehazi, leave her alone. Can't you see? She's in distress. Something's wrong, but God has not revealed it to me yet. And she spoke up, and she looked at Elisha, and she said, Did I ask you for a son? Did I even ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you? Don't tease me with false hopes. And Elisha Immediately realizing that something was wrong with the boy, ordered Gehazi, don't lose a minute. Grab my staff and run as fast as you can. If you meet anyone, don't even take the time to greet them. And if anyone greets you, don't even answer, but you keep going and you lay my staff across that boy's face. The boy's mother said, as sure as God lives and you live, you're not leaving me behind. And so Gehazi let her take the lead and followed behind. But Gehazi (coughs) arrived first. He laid the staff over the boy's face, but there was no sound. There was no sign of life. Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and said, This boy has not moved. He hasn't stirred. This boy is dead. So Elisha entered the house and he found the boy stretched out on his own bed, the bed of the man of God. He went into the room, the room of the man of God, and he shut the door. It was just the two of them in the room, him and this lifeless boy. And he prayed. He then got into the bed with the boy. He covered him with his body, mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands. And as he was stretched forth over him like that, the boy's body became warm. Elisha got up, he paced back and forth in the room. Then he went back and he stretched himself upon the boy. One more time, and the boy started sneezing. Seven times he sneezed, 
he opened his eyes, the miraculous had taken place there. He called for Gehazi. He said, get the Shunammite woman in here. He called her and she came in. And Elisha said, embrace your son. Your son is alive. She fell at Elisha's feet, face to the ground, in reverence to the man of God. Then she embraced her son and went out with him. Everybody say a miracle took place. We go to the next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5. And these chapters through this portion of 2 Kings are in chronological order. Meaning they took place in the order that they are written. We see a man named Naaman. He was a general of the army under the king of Aram. He was important to his master who held him in the highest esteem because it was by him that God had given victory to Aram, a truly great man but afflicted with a grievous skin disease. It so happened that Aram on one of his raiding expeditions against Israel captured a young girl who became a maid to Naaman's wife. One day she said to Her mistress, oh, if only my master could meet the prophet of Samaria, he would be healed of this leprosy, this skin disease. So Naaman went straight to his master and reported what the girl from Israel had said. So the king of Aram said, well, go ahead, Naaman. I'll send a letter of introduction to the king of Israel. So he went off, taking with him about 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Naaman delivered the letter to the king of Israel. The letter read, when you get this letter, you'll know that I've personally sent my servant Naaman to you. Please heal him. Of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter. He was terribly upset. He ripped his robe to pieces. He said. Am I a God with the power. To bring death or life. That I get orders to heal this man. From his disease. What's going on here. This king is playing games with me. He's trying to pick a fight. I don't understand this. But then Elisha comes onto the scene, the same Elisha that we just talked about in another story. The man of God heard what had happened. The the king of Israel was so upset that he was ripping his clothes off. And he sent word to the king, why are you so upset? Send him to me and he'll learn that there really is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman with his horses and chariots arrived in style and he stopped at Elisha's door. Elisha sent out a servant to meet him with this message. Go to the Jordan River and immerse yourself seven times. Your skin will be healed and will be as good as new. And Naaman absolutely lost his temper. 
How dare the prophets? How dare he not personally come out to meet me and greet me and call upon the name of the Lord in majestic fashion and wave his hand over my diseased body and get rid of this disease. The Damascus rivers, Abana and Farfar, are, are they not cleaner by far than any of these rivers in Israel? Why not bathe in them? At least I would get clean. Naaman stomped off, mad as ever. But his servants stopped him. <clears throat> they said, Naaman, whoa, Naaman, if the prophet had asked you to do something hard and heroic, wouldn't you have done it? So why not this simple wash and be clean thing that he's asking you to do? <clears throat> so Naaman came to his senses. He went down, he immersed himself in the Jordan seven times following the orders of Elisha, and his skin was healed. It was like the skin of a baby. He was as good as new. He then went back to Elisha, he and his entourage, and he stood before him. He said, I now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no God anywhere on earth other than the God of Israel. In gratitude, Elisha, you man of God, I want to give you a gift. <clears throat> and Elisha replied to him, As God lives, the God whom I serve, I will take nothing from you. Naaman tried his best to give him, get him to take something, but Elisha would not do it. If you won't take anything, said Naaman, let me ask you for something. Give me a load of dirt, as much as a team of donkeys can carry, because I'm never again going to worship any god other than this god. But there's one thing for which I need God's pardon. When my master, leaning on my arm, enters the shrine of Ramon and worships there, and I'm with him there worshiping Ramon, May you see to it that God forgive me for this. And Elisha looked at him and said, everything's going to be all right. Go in peace. So Naaman left. And he hadn't gone far when something stirred up within the servant of Elisha. Anybody remember his name? Gehazi. Something stirred up in Gehazi and he said to himself, my master has let Naaman slip through his fingers without so much as a thank you. By the living God, I'm going after him and I'm going to get payment. I'm going to get something from him. And Gehazi took off after Naaman. Naaman saw him running after him and jumped down from his chariot to greet him. Is something wrong? No, nothing's wrong, but something's come up. My master 
sent me to tell you two young men just showed up from the hill country Brothers from the Guild of the Prophets supply their needs with a gift of about 75 pounds of silver and a couple sets of clothes. Elisha did not send Gehazi to do this. Gehazi did it on his own. Naaman, having just been healed, said, Of course, in fact, I'll give you double that. I'll give you 150 pounds. He insisted. He tied up the money in two sacks. He gave him the two sets of clothes. He even gave him two servants to carry the gifts back with him. When they got to the fort on the hill, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants, stored them inside, and then sent the servants back. He returned and stood before his master. And Elisha said, Gehazi, what have you been up to? Oh, not a whole lot, Elisha. Just remember you got 150 pounds of silver, so. Didn't you know that I was with you in spirit when that man stepped down from his chariot to greet you? I'm sure when Elisha said that, shivers went up the spine to Gehazi. Uh-oh, the man of God's on to me. Tell me, is this a time for you to look after yourself, lining your pockets with gifts? Naaman's leprosy will now infect you, and not only you, but it will infect your family, Gehazi, with no relief in sight. Gehazi walked away his skin started flaking and turned white like snow. He started getting pale. He was struck with leprosy right then and there. Gehazi was now a leper. As we go on in our reading through the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6 details the event of the axe head swimming, the blinding of the Syrian army, and the siege of Samaria by the Syrian army that resulted in a great famine. And But through it all today, I want to tell you that God had a divine plan in mind. These things that were happening, this famine, the siege of Samaria, all of these things were not happening on accident but they were in fact a part of the divine plan of God himself. I want to tell you today, if you're here under the sound of my voice, these things that are happening in your life, though they may be pleasant or unpleasant, they may be good or bad, but these things are a part of a divine plan. God. How many know that God is in control today? He's in control today. I may go through the miraculous. He's definitely in control. But I may go through a valley. But he's still in control today. He's still in control. He is a faithful God today. We look at 2 Kings chapter 7. 
And Elisha says, oh, listen to me. Here is God's word. The famine is over. This time tomorrow, food will be plentiful. A handful of meal for a shekel. Two handfuls of grain for a shekel. The market at the city gate will be buzzing. The attendant on whom the king leaned for support at the gate said to the man of God, you, Do you expect us to believe that? Look around you, man of God. There's a famine. People are starving. This is a bad situation. And you're going to walk up in here and say that within 24 hours this mess is going to be taken care of? Come on, don't call yourself a man of God. Don't come in here and say stuff like that. This is more of a serious issue than that, Elisha. We can just imagine, says the gatekeeper, trap doors opening up and food just pouring out. What are you talking about, man of God? Elisha looked at him and he said, you're going to see it with your own eyes. But you're not even going to be able to eat so much as a mouthful. You're going to see the miracles of God, but you will not be able to partake. It just so happened that four lepers were sitting outside of the city gate, they said to one another, what are we doing just sitting here at death's door? If we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's take our chances and go to the camp of Aram and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they will receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. We've got nothing to lose. Just a side note here. The Bible does not say particularly, but Jewish tradition says that these four lepers sitting outside of the gate were Gehazi and some of his sons. Remember, Gehazi had been struck with leprosy, but not only Gehazi, his entire family had been struck with leprosy. So after the sun went down, they got up, they went to the camp of Aram. When they got to the edge of the camp, surprise, there was not a man in the camp. The master had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses and a mighty army on the march. They told one another, the king of Israel hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. And they panicked and they ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys. The whole camp, just as it was, they ran for dear life when nothing was even after them. The army fled. These four lepers entered into the camp. They went into a tent. They ate and they drank and they grabbed silver and gold and clothing. They went off and they hid it. They came back, entered another tent and looted it. Again, hiding their plunder. This army that had been here 
This was the whole reason for the famine. The whole reason that everybody was starving was because they were under oppression by this army. No food could get in. Nothing could get out because there was an army there. But the army has now fled. The lepers have invaded the camp. They look around and they say one to another, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news and we're making it into a party just for ourselves. If we wait around until morning, we'll get caught and we'll be punished. So come on, let's go tell the good news to the king's palace. They went and they called out at the city gate telling what had happened. We went to the camp of Aram and surprise, the place was deserted. Not a soul, not a sound. The horses and donkeys are still there, left tied to the tents, abandoned just as they were. The gatekeeper then got word to the royal palace, giving them the whole story. In the middle of the night, the king got the news. And he told his servants, let me tell you what Aram has done. They knew that we were starving. So they left camp. They've hidden the field thinking when they come out of the city, we'll capture them alive and take the city. One of his advisors answered, let some men go and take five of the horses left behind. The worst that can happen is no worse than what could happen to the whole city. Let's send them and find out what's happened. So they took a couple chariots, they took some horses. The king sent them after the army of Aram with the orders, scout them out and find what happened. They went after them all the way to the Jordan. The whole way was strewn with clothes and equipment that the army had dumped while they were panicking in flight. The scouts came back and they reported to the king, Oh, this army is not playing tricks on them. The enemy has been defeated. The enemy has fled. They are gone. The army is gone. The people then looted the camp. Food prices dropped. A handful of meal for a shekel. Two handfuls of grain for a shekel. God's word from the man of God to the letter happened. The king ordered his attendant, the one who he leaned on for support to be in charge of the city gate. The people turned into a mob, poured through the gate, and they trampled him to death. It was exactly what the man of God had said. You're going to see the end of the famine, but you're not going to partake. You're not even going to get a mouthful. They trampled him. Every word of the man of God to the king, a handful of meal for a shekel, two handfuls of grain for a shekel, this time tomorrow at the gate. The attendant's sarcastic reply You expect us to believe that man of God. Trap doors opening in the sky and food tumbling out. The man of God's response, you'll watch it with your own eyes. 
it. You're not even going to get a mouthful. Every single word proved true. Proved true. So we see here a number of stories interwoven leading up to 2 Kings chapter number 8. And we see just in the very first six verses, very profound story. Years before, Elisha had told the woman whose son he brought back to life, the Shunammite woman, leave here. You need to leave your family. You need to leave your farm. And you need to go elsewhere Because a famine's coming. This had happened years before. Elisha told the woman of Shunem, this woman who had honored the man of God, who built a room for him, he told her, hey, there's a famine coming. It's not here yet. But you need to get out of here now. The armies are going to surround us. There's going to be a famine in the land. And it's going to last for exactly seven years. The woman did exactly what the man of God told her because she believed the word of the word of God. She knew that God was faithful and she believed it. As hard as it was to leave everything she owned, she followed the word of God. She did exactly that. She and her family lived as aliens in the country of the Philistines for seven years. Then when the seven years was up, she had been marking her calendar. When those seven years were up, she said, The man of God has told me to go home, and I am going home. I'm going home. Undoubtedly, during those seven years, she had abandoned her home. She had abandoned her farm, something that was very valuable in a land that was going through a famine in a land that was surrounded by armies. A farm was very valuable and had undoubtedly been taken over, maybe even destroyed. There's no telling what could have happened to her farm while she was gone for seven years. This wasn't a few days. This was years that she was gone. She trusted in the word of the Lord and she said, you know what, up, what when the seven years are over, when the, my seven years are up, I'm going back and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to ask the king for my home and my farm to be given back to me. So she went back after the seven years were up. She hadn't talked to Elisha in years. She hadn't seen Gehazi in years. In fact, Gehazi was a leper now. Years had passed since she was barren. And then she had this miraculous baby boy. And the baby boy tragically died in the field. And then he was brought back to life. And and she had been through the mountains and the valleys and the mountains and the valleys. And years had passed and she lost her home and her farm. And there was a famine and she had to leave town. And everything had happened. Life had happened. Years had passed. She had no connections with anybody. 
back home. But she knew where the king's palace was. She said, I'm going to go to the king. And I'm going to ask for my home and my farm. We see in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 4, that the king was talking to a man named Gehazi. This doesn't make sense because, see, lepers were not allowed in the king's palace. There had to be some kind of intervention, something Crazy had to happen for a leper to be allowed in the king's palace. Maybe it was that that very leper had discovered that the famine was over. The armies were gone. I don't know what happened to Gehazi. The Bible doesn't say if he was still even a leper. Maybe Gehazi was healed. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that Gehazi was in the king's palace talking to the king. And the king said, tell me some of the great stories of Elisha. Tell me of the ministry of Elisha. Tell me some of the miracles that he did. And Gehazi said, oh king, I've got one for you. There was this lady that made a place for the man of God. She honored the man of God. and Elisha was blessed by this lady. And Elisha asked what was to be done for this lady. And we couldn't find out. Well, then we found out that this lady was barren. So Elisha gave her a son. And he's telling the story about the great miracles that Elisha had done through the power of God. He's telling the story to the king about how this boy was brought back to life. And all of a sudden, the Shunammite woman shows up at the king's palace. She hadn't seen Gehazi in years. But all of a sudden, as Gehazi is telling the story, this Shunammite woman just shows up. And Gehazi looks at her. And he looks at the king. And he looks back at the Shunammite woman. And he looks at the king. And for a second, maybe he's trying to figure out, is is this king setting me up? What's going on here? And then he realizes, no, this isn't, this isn't a setup by anybody around here. What he didn't know is it was a setup, but it was a setup by God Almighty. It was a setup by God Almighty for a woman who had been faithful unto God. And he looked at the king and he said, Oh, king, you're not going to believe this. You're going to think I'm crazy. But that lady who I was just telling you about, in fact, I hadn't even finished the story yet. That lady we're talking about, this is her. I haven't seen her in years. I promise I didn't bring her here, King. This is her right here. This is her. 
So the king said, whoa, hold on a second. Lady, please come here. Tell me this story. Do you have a son? Tell me a story about your son. And the lady began to tell him the things that God had done and the miracles when when the man of God came around. She began to tell him exactly the same story that Gehazi had told him. The king was amazed. He assigned an officer to take care of her. He said, make sure this lady who has been gone for years, make sure she gets everything back that was hers. Let's get her home back. Let's get her farm back. In fact, you know what? She had a farm during a time of famine that fed a lot of people. And that farm made a lot of money. So you know what we're going to do? Every single dollar that that farm made, all the profits during this famine, we're going to give that to her. We're going to give that to her. She's not just going to get her home and her farm back. She's going to get all the profit back. We're going to make sure this lady is taken care of. So we step back and we see the stories, these stories in 2 Kings that are so beautifully woven together. And we look at the woman who was a wonderful saint of God. We see the miraculous in her life. We see the tragedies in her life. We see the good times. And we see the bad times. But we see a woman who threw it all, threw it all, who trusted God. Through it all, she made a place for God in her life. Through it all, she made a place for the things of God in her life. The man of God, the word of God, she revered in her life. She had an amazing faith and confidence in the power of God. She had an uncommon attitude of obedience to the man of God and an uncommon Trust in the power of God. Blessings were abundant when she fell in line with the will and the plan of God in her life. No matter where it took her. No matter where it took her. She said, God, I trust in you. I trust in you. God takes us. Sometimes through the roller coaster of life, everybody knows that. But through it all, he's faithful. I want you to stand with me this morning. Amen. If you're dealing with some stuff today, if you're dealing with life today, and you're going through that roller coaster that we all know so well, I want you to be encouraged today. And even more than encouraged, I want you 
to be faithful to God. Be faithful unto God. Because He today is faithful unto you. How many believe that? Could you just lift your hand in the air if you believe that today? Hallelujah. I trust in you, God. I trust in you, God. I trust in you, God. Why don't you turn to your neighbor just for a moment, look him in the eye, and tell him, I've lived through the miraculous. Tell him again, I've lived through the miraculous. Look him in the eye and say, I've lived through the valley. Why don't you look him in the eye one more time and say, but God has been faithful to me. (laughs) He's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to me. I've had tragedy. I've had triumph. I've had successes. And I've had failure. But today on this Sunday morning at the Pentecostals of Lake City, I come to church and I give God glory because every one of those things is a part of His great plan for my life. They're a part of His great plan. All things, everything that's happened to me is working together for my good. 